Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? What was the worst thing you saw and what made it that? Intern Will is on the receiving end of your phone calls. You could be next. The Chiefs going to New England and beating the Patriots. The Ravens going to Buffalo and beating a perhaps playoff-bound Bills team. The Niners going to New Orleans and beating the Saints. That was the best of the NFL weekend. Shout-outs to Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. Drew Locke and the Broncos actually went to Houston and beat the Texans. The Rams improved to 8-5 and five and back in the playoff picture by beating the Seahawks 28-12. Those were among the best team performances in the National Football League. You can be next with your best or worst of the weekend. College football, NFL, NBA, NHL, Baseball Hall of Famers. Worst of the weekend, of course, led by your Carolina Panthers. The Utah Utes of college football, the Tar Heels, the Demon Deacons, and others in college basketball. Patrick Reed in the golf world, Andy Ruiz Jr. in the boxing world, and a cast of thousands. You can be next. What was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw? Mick Mixon, play-by-play -play voice of the Carolina Panthers, will be with us in 30 minutes to talk NFL. Roddy Jones in 60 minutes from ESPN, the former Georgia Tech star and team captain, will drop by to discuss all things college football. Eli Drinkwitz both led App State to another Sun Belt title, 45-38 over Louisiana, right there in Boone at Kid Brewer Stadium on Saturday. He also left the Mountaineers. He has agreed to take the Missouri job in the SEC. He is quintupling his income, guaranteed base 750000 at App State, guaranteed base in the $4 million neighborhood at Missouri. So higher risk, yes, but also higher reward. And that is actually a theme in college football right now. As we come to your call, Steve is in Wilmington. Bill is in Rocky Mount. You can be next on college hoops, college football, NFL, or whatever else might be burning a hole in your sports soul. The risk-reward concept is in play in the coaching carousel. Lane Kiffin could sustain success at Florida Atlantic in Conference USA in a less complicated way, given his resources, his location, his current success. They just won the conference title on Saturday. Would it have been less complicated for him to continue to win at Florida Atlantic than, say, turn Ole Miss into an SEC football power? Of course, it is higher risk for him to go to Ole Miss. Remember how the Tennessee story ended in a debacle for Lane Kiffin in more ways than we can count? He knows what a tough neighborhood the SEC is. He knows he could build more sustained success at Florida Atlantic in a lower league than trying to turn Ole Miss, which is rarely a power in the SEC in the sport of football. He knows it's much higher risk. Eli Drinkwitz knows leading Missouri to an SEC title in football? compared to leading App State to another uh, Sunbelt title in football, those are not close to each other. The Mountaineers are on a roll. The Mountaineers are the best program in the Sunbelt, and Missouri is none of those things. Not on a roll, not the best facilities, not the best tradition compared to others in their league, not the best NFL pipeline. They are a bottom half at best team in the SEC. But as Mike Norvell leaves Memphis – AAC championship for Florida State and as Eli Drinkwitz leaves Sunbelt champion App State for Missouri and Lane Kiffin leans, leaves Conference USA champion Florida Atlantic for Ole Miss of the SEC 
In two of those three cases, they know it is incredibly high risk, their next destination. Schools that just don't win at a high level very often and certainly don't sustain it very often in football. You get your brains beat in for the most part when you have to deal with Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M, and LSU, and Georgia, and Florida, etc. They know that. Eli Drinkwitz knows the Missouri job is a hard job. Mike Norvell may be able to turn Florida State into something special. That is not inheriting a bottom half of the league program. That's inheriting, you know, one of the best jobs in the ACC in football, you know, maybe behind only the Clemson Tigers, the way Dabo has made that an even better job than it once was. Just as those coaches played the risk-reward game and they decided, I know it's higher risk, I could probably ride it out here at Memphis or App State or Florida Atlantic, and I'm just the bigger fish in a smaller pond, and the fans think I'm the cat's meow, and I just brought them a conference title, and maybe I can bring them more. Of course they know it's higher risk, but quintupling your income as Eli Drinkwitz, that's the higher reward part. Keep in mind as you contemplate what turned out to be a not difficult weekend for the college football playoff committee that there's a high-risk, high-reward aspect to scheduling in college football as well. As we come to Steve in Wilmington, Bill in Rocky Mount, and you calling from the mountains or the beaches or anywhere you'd want to live in between, it is a fair question to ask. Did the Oregon Ducks pay for the fact that they scheduled up and lost early this season to Auburn? It was one of those neutral site games. If Oregon just scheduled another cupcake and won it, of course, Instead of playing Auburn in, I think it was at Jerry's World in Texas, Arlington, Texas, if they chose not to take on a non-conference challenge, Auburn of the SEC was a pretty solid team, top, what, 10 or so in the committee rankings. If you just played Cupcake U, you'd have been the Oregon Ducks, the 12-1 Pac-12 champ. But your two losses... Remember, they were shocked by Arizona State in the regular season in conference play. The only other blemish was that game they chose to schedule where they chose to challenge themselves. And I was glad the sideline reporter asked Oregon coach Mario Cristobal this question as they, of course, handed Utah not just a loss. The Utes were annihilated in that game, 37-15. to That took all the pressure off the committee because you know Oregon's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Why? They're a two-loss team. They're the Pac-12 champs but there's never been a two-loss team in the Final Four. College football playoff committee could have had chaos and splicing hairs and resumes. Instead, it's okay. LSU's 13-0. Boom, you're in. Ohio State's 13-0. Boom, you're in. Clemson's 13-0. Boom, you're in. And then the only other one-loss team was a conference champion, Oklahoma at 12-1. Boom, you're in. The only other Power 5 champ was 11-2 Oregon. Good resume, but you have two losses Rule of thumb, don't lose twice or you're not going to get seriously considered for the college football playoff. So what if the Ducks had scheduled a cupcake instead? The bottom line remains the same. And I'm not against all of you who won an 18 playoff instead of a 14 playoff. I'm just, as someone who's been waiting and begging for a playoff of any kind for decades, and I thought it was the right thing to do in the 1980s as a young sports writer and in the 1990s again, and then I got to the point where I was, wasn't sure we were ever going to have any kind of a bracket-style playoff the way we have in almost every other sport on earth at almost every other level. You know, field hockey teams in Bangladesh have bracket-style playoffs at the middle school level, probably, right? We just couldn't get it at the FBS level for decades. Well, now we have it. So I, I'm not anti-eight, 
but I'm okay enough with four, and this year was a reminder why. If Oregon did take a risk by scheduling up, but isn't this how it's supposed to work? If you don't schedule up, you might have been Baylor. And Baylor might have, if they needed a break, not gotten that break. Why? They didn't schedule up at all. This particular year, it hurt Oregon that they scheduled up. But the committee is not as worried about that as they are worried about the idea that you don't have incentives to schedule up. Oregon knows it is out at 11-2. and two. Oregon knows that if it had beaten, in this season, if it had beaten Auburn in Texas in that game it chose to play, that's your discretion, right? That's not handed to you by your conference office. It's not a conference game. You can either play cupcakes in your three or four optional games, or you can challenge yourself. The committee at least wants to see you try. Now, if you schedule a bigger-name school and it turns out they're bad that year, that's not really your fault. The ideal is that you schedule an upgraded game and they're good that year. And it's a test. Oregon failed that test. I mean, they still are going to finish high or did finish high in the committee rankings, right? But you're 11-2. and two. Ohio State didn't have its resume dissected down to the last nook and cranny because the Buckeyes went 13-0. LSU and Clemson, same thing. Clemson would have been dissected down to the last nook and cranny if it had suffered a single loss. Maybe that game in Chapel Hill or something else crazy that happened. Of course they would have been scrutinized that way. Teams know that if you don't schedule up, you are going to lose the benefit of the doubt if you need it. They also know that when you do schedule up, of course, if you lose, it costs you. But that's exactly the risk-reward formula the committee wants to emphasize. They didn't want to get stuck. If Baylor had beaten Oklahoma, the Baylor Bears would have been rewarded, probably, for scheduling down. They would have been the 12-1 and Big 12 champion and played nothing but cupcakes in the non-conference schedule. But they'd have been sitting there as a Power 5 champion with a 12-1 and record. In other years, Baylor would have been punished for that. In this particular year, Baylor might have gotten rewarded for scheduling down. It didn't work out that way, and that's why I pictured the committee eating caviar, popping champagne bottles, and celebrating New Year's Eve style because Baylor didn't get rewarded for scheduling down. And Oregon at least tried to schedule up. But Oregon knows if it had won that game, Oregon would have had a great chance to get in as the Pac-12 champion, depending on how the other dominoes shook out. This year, it would have been an interesting call between that Oregon team and, of course, the Oklahoma team that did make it. Steve is in Wilmington. Welcome to the David Glenn Show, and welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Go right ahead. Thank you very much, D.G. How are you, bud? Doing great. What's on your mind? Uh, Best of the Weekend, uh, Clemson and and the Tigers after that uh, game at uh, UNC earlier in the season, just right in the ship and and running the table. Glad to see them back in there. Five straight trips to the college football playoff for Dabo Sweeney. That is an incredible accomplishment. It is amazing. Just amazing. Worst of the weekend, we've got to do something about this NFL officiating thing. And I don't want this to sound like sour grapes, but the Patriots got screwed. But they did. Two, they twice did. on the same series? They did. The fumble by Kelsey and then the touchdown by the rookie Harry, and there's no recourse. Yeah, and I, it's funny. I did not watch the earlier portion of that game. So that by the time the controversial plays happened, I'm like, where's Belichick's flag, his challenge flag? And I think I saw three different ones where the refs blatantly got it wrong. And Belichick had already used his challenge flag unsuccessfully. So there was no challenge. And, it, and the idea, we all know, 
how most NFL fans think there's conspiracy theories in favor of the New England Patriots. Like, they get every benefit of every doubt and every scenario from the Zebras and everybody else. That's the, the urban legend, right? It didn't happen that way yesterday. I mean, if you, if you hold that theory, yesterday is evidence to the contrary because the New England Patriots, were they outplayed by the Chiefs? I would argue that they were outplayed. But they had their typical comeback late. Usually when they come back, they they beat the Chiefs. They did it twice just last year, remember, once in the playoffs in Kansas City. I thought maybe that was going to happen, but when the Patriots needed those those uh, plays to be called that way, actually just the correct way, not even giving them the benefit of the doubt, that tight, tight rope down the sideline wasn't even close. And my understanding was the officials are taught if they're not sure what they saw, this is the part that bothers me because human beings are going to make mistakes. And I sometimes get tired of the whole, you know, beating up on the umpire or beating up on the officials. They're human beings. They make mistakes just like coaches and players make mistakes. As long as humans are involved, there are going to be mistakes, period. Now, I do get a little upset when they either don't know the rules or don't enforce the rules properly. That's a different thing. That's that's incompetence rather than just making a bad judgment call. And my understanding is that NFL officials are trained. And on the tiptoe down the sideline play, neither official had a great view of it. My understanding is if they're not sure what just happened, call it a touchdown because by rule, if you call it a touchdown, you know, Darren and I are standing to each other. He's near the pylon and I'm on the sideline and there's just some huge athletic body that blurred my vision and I didn't see it. And Darren and I are standing to each other. It's, it's one of our calls and we're not sure what the heck happened. My sight was blocked and Darren had, you know, was probably dealing with somebody tumbling into his knees or whatever and falling to the ground. It's not a simple job description with the fastest, quickest, biggest athletes on earth. What you're supposed to do if you're not sure, call it a touchdown. By rule, it gets reviewed, and you get to the fair result. Now, they did ask those, they did ask that crew that question after the game. It was not a very satisfactory answer to Patriots fans, I'm sure. I didn't cry myself to sleep because I'm not a Patriots fan, but this is one of the rare occasions where you can say that missed calls did impact a game pretty significantly, and it's one of the rare occasions that when you say that involving the Patriots, it actually went against New England, rather in favor of the mega-time Super Bowl champions. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. What is the, re- what is the solution for, I think, what has been a season-long list of complaints about NFL officiating? This happens you know, with ACC fans in college basketball, it happens a lot during the NCAA tournament. You know, th- one of the only things you can do systematically is to make officials full-time and, and, you know, hope that that results in a higher degree of competency. But even that, of course, is not going to do away with all errors of judgment or otherwise. And you'd need to go to an extreme extent with instant replay to make sure that every missed call was caught and corrected. And I don't think most fans want to go further down that road. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Russia has been caught as the lion, cheating, corrupt, lawless, soulless country that it is. And I mean that in the sports context. The World Anti-Doping Agency, with a mountain of evidence against Russian athletes and, and, their administrators, and all the way up to, like, the Russian government. Sound familiar? Caught with a mountain of evidence cheating in 
more sports than you can count in the most egregious ways that you can imagine. Today, the WADA came out with a four-year ban from international athletics competition at what they call major events. That includes the Summer Olympics and the World Cup, although it's not yet clear if some Russian athletes who can prove that they're clean might be able to participate just without the Russian flag, without the Russian anthem, without the Russian uniform, etc. The four-year ban, though, I like when I like when cheaters get caught, and Russia is an example of one of the worst systematic cheaters in the history of world sports. I'm glad they got caught, and I'm glad that people followed the evidence all the way to a pretty significant four-year ban. That was a best of the weekend from a little bit off the beaten path for me. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma in the college football ranks. Kansas City, Baltimore, San Francisco, and others in the NFL also getting some best of the weekend love. Trey Jones and Duke, C.J. Bryce and NC State. Tony Bennett's UVA Cavaliers shut down the Tar Heels in Charlottesville. Those were among the best of the weekend from various fans over the weekend that was. You can be next with your best or worst of the weekend as we look forward to Roddy Jones in 45 minutes on more college football. Mick Mixon voice of the Carolina Panthers in about 15 minutes on more NFL. The Panthers are a leading vote getter for worst of the weekend. They fired their coach. They fell from the playoff picture long ago and they got embarrassed by the Falcons for the second time this season, this time in Atlanta. Your questions and comments are welcome. Your best and worst of the weekend votes are welcome. 1-800-849-2761. Those guests later. More of your calls next on The David Glenn Show. Davo Sweeney, welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. you. I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80. <laughs> Eight zero. The original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is The David Glenn Show. It's the most frustrated I've ever been. I don't think we're playing basketball the way I want us to play, and that's probably the most frustrating. Pushing the pace, sharing the ball, competing like crazy. I've uh, been very fortunate over the years of being able to find the right buttons to push to get guys to do that, and I haven't found the right buttons to push to get these guys to do it that way. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Little Roy Williams from UNC. College basketball among your menu items on the weekend that was. The biggest games were won by LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma in college football. The next big games because of playoff repercussions were in the NFL. The Chiefs over the Patriots, the Ravens over the Bills, the Niners over the Saints. Remember, the Niners and the Ravens are at 11-2. Nobody in the NFL has a better record than that. The Chiefs at 9-4 certainly look mighty dangerous after beating the Patriots in New England. We ask you every Monday, what was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? College basketball, of course, was on the agenda. The Tar Heels lost 56-47 at UVA and looked just dreadful offensively as they fell to six and three for college basketball fans and we take questions and comments about the panthers the canes the hornets the in-state football and college basketball teams eli drinkwitz leaving app state but not before helping the Mountaineers to another Sun Belt championship. He got best of the weekend votes and worst of the weekend votes for his complicated weekend. You can jump in on any of these topics or take us elsewhere with your best or worst of the weekend vote, 1-800-849-2761. Duke, NC State, and UVA took steps forward this weekend in college basketball. 
UNC and Wake Forest were among those that took steps backward. It was the Cavs over the heels in Charlottesville. It was the Pack over the Deeks in Winston-Salem. And it was Duke going to Blacksburg and beating Virginia Tech. As we come to your calls and look forward to Mick Mixon, play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers, joining us a little bit later this hour. Roddy Jones of ESPN on all things college football will start our number three. Lines open now if you want to cast your ballot or ask your question. 1-800-849-2761. The Tar Heels are known for a lot of things under Roy Williams or even going all the way back to Dean Smith. And Coach Williams just listed many of them there. They are rarely inept offensively. They have had years where they struggled defensively under Roy Williams. They were going up against the number one defense in America. But as the Cavaliers, remember, have their own challenges and are not at all a pretty team offensively. It is interesting that when Roy Williams needed something to lean on, he couldn't find it. And when Tony Bennett needed something to lean on, remember, no more Ty Jerome at point guard, no more Kyle Guy draining threes and hitting all of his free throws and uh, acrobatically driving into the lane, no more DeAndre Hunter, NBA lottery pick, right? No more Jack Salt, a huge part of that pack line defense. When he needed something to serve as his anchor, Tony Bennett, even though they are ugly offensively, and in fact, if you watch the Tar Heels game against the Cavaliers, it's not like UVA was pretty offensively. I mean, Kihei Clark was bad offensively, their starting point guard. Jay Huff, their big guy from Durham, who's a wonderful offensive player, was a goose egg offensively. That's two of the most important players on the UVA team, and they couldn't do anything right offensively. But the Cavs won in convincing fashion, and the Tar Heels lost in convincing fashion because when two teams couldn't find answers offensively, and in the Heels' case, you know there are similar reasons, right? Kobe White sure looks good with the Chicago Bulls right now. Nasir Little is off to the NBA, and some superb college players like Cam Johnson and Luke May also have moved on. So when you have almost all of your best offensive weapons move on, you've got a problem on your hands. And one of the reasons I've been circling for months, Duke and Louisville as the ACC trailblazers this year, and UVA and UNC, while ranked in the preseason or early season top 10 as something less than the Cardinals and the Blue Devils, it really has to do with something as commonsensical as most of your best offensive players have moved on either to play professional basketball or because they graduated. Of course you're going to have growing pains. That's how it works. Unless you just feed the pipeline with the next generation of prep All-Americans and rarely, certainly this year's incoming classes at UNC and UVA do not fit that description the way, say, a Vernon Carey has helped Duke avoid falling back into the pack the year after three Blue Devils, led by Zion Williamson, were off to the NBA lottery. When Roy Williams needed to find an anchor, there was none. And when Tony Bennett needed to find an anchor, he still had the number one defense in America. That's the bottom line. The Cavaliers are not a good offensive team. The Cavaliers are not right now a contender for the ACC title or first place or the Final Four or a run at another national title. Neither are the Tar Heels, of course. Both have a long way to go to be able to do what they've done regularly in recent years under two great coaches. Tony Bennett teaches defense in a way that the guys whose names you don't even know 
are already executing his pack line defense the way he wants it executed. And when Royce Williams is trying to get a largely new cast of characters to run the things he's famous for more offensively than defensively, secondary break, et cetera, it's just not happening. Point guard distributor, great talent in Cole Anthony, scoring points sometimes, but often inefficient and not yet a great distributor of the ball. Some say it's his fault. Some say he just doesn't have enough guys worth distributing the ball to. And that'll be an ongoing angle to watch for Carolina fans. When you're that good on one side of the ball, not regardless of the players and the, you know, the names on the jerseys, but it feels close to that at times at UVA, doesn't it? Tony Bennett's going to have one of the top defensive teams in the country. You feel like you can say that before you even see who he throws out there. That is a stronger foundation right now for UVA basketball, and the Tar Heels just simply do not have any one thing that they can lean on that way with that level of confidence on either side of the ball. What do they have? A really talented freshman point guard in Cole Anthony, a really reliable veteran big guy in Garrison Brooks, and an intriguing freshman center named Armando Baycott. And that's, you know, that's why it's still worth monitoring. There's still some promise there. But what do the Heels have beyond those two or three talented guys, man? They don't have as much as they usually have. And I've been following Roy Williams since the day he got his first head coaching opportunity with the Kansas Jayhawks. There's just not as much talent there beyond the top two or three guys. And when you play a UVA, of course, the Cavaliers are going to exploit that lack of offensive firepower probably as well as anybody in all of college basketball. More on State's win at Wake, more on Duke's win at Virginia Tech with more of your phone calls, best and worst of the weekend. Cameron in Greenville, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, DG. Um, so my, I just had a, a worst of the weekend, and it's the Pac-12 football. Um, what is stopping, in your opinion, the Pac-12 commissioner from lobbying the heck out of them to make an eight-team college football playoff? Because if I was the Pac-12, I would want to team up with, like, the AAC and some other non-Power 5 conferences and, just, and maybe even the Big 12 because apart from Oklahoma, nobody's getting a college football playoff except for I'll tell uh, you what's going to uh, happen. Oklahoma. You're right that the Pac-12 is often left out. For example, the ACC and the SEC, we're in year six of this, this format. The ACC and the SEC have never missed the college football playoff. They are both six out of six in having somebody advance to the Final Four. The Pac-12 is kind of at the other end of the spectrum, at least among the Power Five conferences. Oklahoma, by the way, shout out to Lincoln Riley. The, guy, the guy's the third-year head coach of the Sooners. And I believe he was there when he helped Bob Stoops get into the Final Four one year as the offensive coordinator. He's three for three now as the Oklahoma head coach in getting the Sooners into the Final Four. I think what would motivate the Pac-12 to get to that level would be a vote where they really felt disrespected. The problem this year was that their conference champion, Oregon, was only 11-2. and two, And a two-loss team has never made it into the Final Four. So if you're the Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott is his name, do you really have an axe to grind? Or is your bottom line, you know what, when these other conference champions have lost two games, and that has been the case in the past, well, they were treated the same way that my team was. And, and that's why he's not quite at axe to grind level. There are plenty of advocates, by the way, for getting to eight. And there's a lot of different varieties of an eight-team playoffs. Some say just let the, power, the six or the five power five champions Take five spots. And then the question is, well, what if some middling team that, you know, didn't Pitt represent the Coastal and the ACC one year at like 
whatever, seven and they were seven and five, maybe. I can't remember. A bad, a bad team to be in a conference championship game. What if Pitt had upset Clemson last year? Well, does that mean you're given like a seven win Pitt team, one of the eight precious spots? Well, you got to decide, right? Either, either you want the conference champion in each of the power five to have a slot or you don't, or you ha- or you put some, uh, the, the champion of each of the power five leagues is automatically in the final eight, unless they're below this in the committee rankings. And then it's a blend of committee rankings and championship label. In the eight-team scenario, of course, one spot at least would go to the best of the group of five. So there's a lot of reasons that eight is compelling to me. But to answer your question, if your team goes 12-1 and and is left out as a conference champion in the Power Five, you've got a better argument. When Oregon goes 11-2, and you really got to go out of your way to feel like you were slighted. Because every other, literally every other two-loss team, including Power 5 champions with two losses, was treated exactly the same way that your Ducks were this year. And that is, man, y'all had a great year. Congratulations on the title. But if you want to make the college football playoff, don't lose twice. That's the bottom line. If they thought it was because they're the Pac-12, that would be a different matter. They don't have any evidence that they're being left out because they're the Pac-12. The evidence suggests they're being left out because their records aren't good enough uh, as compared to some of these, I mean, undefeated teams. And in other cases, one lost Power 5 champions. 1-800-849-2761. Mick Mixon, play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers. On all things NFL, it was worst of the weekend ugly for Carolina in Atlanta. Where do the Panthers go from here? And what about the rest of the NFL weekend? We'll talk about those things and more with Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, next on the David Glenn Show throwback justice league you know batman wonder woman superman aquaman if there was a combine event where you had to talk to marine life aquaman is your guy zay jones is dominating the three cone drill aquaman is dominating the talk to porpoises drill this is the david glenn show Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Roddy Jones will drop by in about 25 minutes to talk college football. More of your Best and Worst of the Weekend votes as we come at you live in almost 300 North Carolina cities and towns. Joining us now, as promised, a good friend of the program and the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers of the National Football League. It was another ugly weekend for the Panthers in Atlanta. So as we bring in Mick Mixon, We will ask him instead before diving into the gridiron details. Uh, I believe you're joining us for the first time since the dismissal of head coach Ron Rivera. You interacted with him quite a bit. Uh, What came to mind, anecdotally or otherwise, when you saw so many people describe Ron Rivera as not just a good football coach, but so many made the reference that they considered him an even better person? The fabric of this man... It's deep, and I'm going to share this with you, DG. I've maybe shared this with one or two other folks, but possibly on a lesser radio show. I can't remember. (laughs) But a couple weeks ago, Coach Rivera and I are ducking into his office downstairs to tape an interview, and he's whistling one of his two default songs that he always whistled, either Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison or Tequila by The Champs. Have I told you this? No. I'm loving it already. I said, Coach, it's pathetic. I said, you're – 
you got to expand your re- your repertoire. I mean, you're from you, you're from California. You you play with the Bears. I mean, there's got to be some more songs you can whistle. And he looks at me and he says, "Oh God, there is." And uh, but I can't remember it. I heard it, uh, the other night. I heard it on XM Sirius. It's a sad song and it's it's about a guy and his and 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 and, and I said, "Oh God, I wish I could remember it because I'd love to whistle it." And I said, "Well, Coach, I'm pretty good with lyrics and and dates and artists and things. Just give me a hint. What's a, just tell me anything about the song? Is it a male vocalist? No, 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 male vocalist." And he goes, "There's some, uh, there's something in it about a tree." And I said, "Coach, please tell me that you're not talking about Bobby Goldsboro. The song is called Honey." And he said, "That's it." <laughs> I said, "Coach, it's a good thing I don't have social media because that you even know that song." Much less the fact that you like it and would consider whistling it gives me grave concern about you personally. (laughs) Mick Mixon is joining us on the David Glenn Show. You have covered college athletics quite a bit, and, of course, you've been the voice of the Panthers for a long time now. I heard Ron Rivera described as approaching his NFL head coaching job in not exactly the same way as a college coach who's dealing with 18- to 22-year-olds. But in terms of caring about them as people, and I remember at his press conference, he specifically referred to bringing his wife, Stephanie, and his daughter, Courtney, I believe, uh, around a lot as examples for how younger men should treat their family and the women in their lives. How much of that part of Ron Rivera did you see? Because I just can't picture Bill Belichick and some others at the pro level even if they care about such other things beyond winning games and chasing championships, I haven't seen a lot of evidence that they incorporated into their daily lives. You are now standing in the heartland of one of the great debates about Carolina head coach Ron Rivera and coaches in general, in my opinion. I'm glad I, I asked. I can't tell you how many times, DG, I've said the same thing or wondered the same thing out loud to myself. Coach Rivera would have his little dog, Tahoe, out at practice or um, around the facility or, you know, whatever, the family. And I would think, or, or he'd be very friendly and nice and accommodating after an eviscerating defeat. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is this the way Mike Krzyzewski rolls? Is, would Bill Belichick have his dog at practice? Uh, I, I, would, would I, I know my world is better professionally because Ron Rivera is in it. But is it? Would I rather have a, a coach with that maniacal dedication yeah. to success that, that, would, that you were afraid of maybe or that you thought might dog cuss you? I don't know. What do you think? I am fascinated by this question, and it's a symbol of our long friendship, and I mean this sincerely, that our wheels have turned in similar ways, at least on this topic. I, I seriously, in the days leading up to Ron Rivera's dismissal and our discussion in the aftermath, I don't know. I'm not nearly as close to him as you, but he has been very gracious with us on this show. I have met him in person a couple of times, and I just really genuinely admire and respect the guy. And I've met his wife, and I met his daughter. Um, And I've asked myself this exact question. And, And I don't know. I think I'm just corny and old school enough that when I've had business partners, you know, I chose the person that might lead us to a lower profit margin, but I admired the way he or she did things over the person 
that might have helped turn me into a truly wealthy person, but I just didn't admire how they went about their day-to-day life. I mean, and, and some of my really wealthy friends mock me, by the way, for that aspect of my personality, but I don't claim to know the answer, right? And there's probably not one, one and only one answer, right? I'm, right, and I'm, I guess I'm not, you know, naive enough to, to believe that you can have both. I jokingly said the other night after a Panther talk, now what we need around here in our next coach is someone that doesn't care that there are pets that are going to be euthanized unless we raise money at this banquet. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't care that there's pots that don't have toys. I mean, you know, we need a coach around here that's going to win. <laughs> oh, man, I hope the world is not at a, what do you call that, the zero-sum game, right? It's, it's one or the other. I, I, hope, I hope there's a blend out there uh, that, that can make it all work. What, uh, what did you learn about? either Perry Fuel interim head coach or new play caller Scott Turner as the Panthers seemed to play okay for a little while but ended up, you know, on an ugly score, the other wrong end of an ugly score against the Falcons in Atlanta just as they had under Ron Rivera in Charlotte a few weeks before. I learned nothing because I totally, well, I guess I learned that I don't, I learned not to trust my opinions and feelings <laughs> pre-game. I, I fell for it, DG. I thought, I know there's distractions, and, and, and Coach Fuel's head was bound to be spinning. Same with the team. But we knew the Falcons. We played them before. I, I thought this is going to be the Panthers will play with with vigor, with zest, with uh, a, a lot of determination because there were causes around. You know, you play for Coach Rivera, your departed coach. Play for Perry Fuel that the players right. love. Play for – uh, the, the keep pounding Sam, I mean, whatever, play for yourself. I just thought that it would be a cohesive, tight, unified performance in Atlanta, and, and, it, and it looked a little the opposite of that. Uh, Jordan Gross said on the broadcast that, that he thought he, he saw it, he did see it coming, but, but he thinks that this coming week the Panthers will, that it will be cleaner with, with an entire week to have processed and mm. digested. And he says it may not be enough because Seattle's good, but he thinks the Panthers are going to play 50% better this coming Sunday. And that'll be a challenge, right? We got the uh, Seattle Seahawks 10-3. and They did lose this weekend. The Rams took them out 28-12 to yesterday, but the Seahawks fall to 10-3. and I think you have seen – I know you know every NFL team to one degree or another – but, you, you know, in your prep for games, for Panthers games, you've seen, I'm trying to remember them all right now, you've seen 11-2 San Francisco. You've seen 10-3 New Orleans. You're about to see and preparing for 10-3 Seattle. You got, what, uh, the 8-5 and five Rams are still in the mix. As you think of all of the contenders, most of whom you have seen up close, who jumps out at you right now? Is it Baltimore? Is it San Fran after what they just did in New Orleans to the Saints? Or is it somebody else uh, with, uh, what, three weeks to go in the regular season? Good question. I was on Buffalo early. Uh, they were at training camp with the Panthers. And I remember telling John Murphy, my counterpart with Buffalo, I said, Murph, this this could be your moment in time. The, the Bills have a crew on D. The schedule was Pretty friendly early on, starting at the Jets, at the Giants, and then, you know, there's. I said, Murph, there's no reason y'all can't be five and two, get off to a good start. Josh Allen looks like he can function. John Brown, the receiver, uh, said y'all are going to be good, and I think you're probably going to have to win at New England in the AFC Championship game, but I got a feeling you're going to the Soupy. Wow. And of course, he didn't want to hear it because you know he thinks it's I'm jinxing them or whatever. Yeah. 
But I, I, and I would have said New Orleans in the NFC, but they're so undisciplined with the penalties. And I'm not just talking about the face mask. Uh, that's obvious. Everybody could see that on Kittle. But I was watching the Thanksgiving night game, Atlanta and New Orleans, and the Saints had three penalties for 72 yards in the first 18 yeah. minutes of the game. I mean, I just think that might come back. They 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 can overcome it because they can pitch and catch, and their defense is pretty good. But the, those 15-yard penalties, uh, I think, could come back and haunt them in a big game. Yeah, I mean, it's not like New England is going to make those sorts of mistakes, right? I'll say this. I didn't think San Francisco, if they needed three or four touchdown passes from Jimmy Garoppolo or they needed to you know, win a shootout, I really didn't think the Niners would, have, would be able to do it. And sure enough, I mean, like you said earlier, we all have to be careful with our predictions. Although, for the record, Mick Mixon warned us on this show about the promise of the Buffalo Bills way back in August. So let's leave that feather in your cap. But Niners over Saints 48-46, to that's made me look at the Niners in a little different way, although I would probably start with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens at the top of the heap. Um, when you combine offense, defense, and special teams, you know, John Harbaugh taking care of the latter and Lamar Jackson taking care of the former right now, uh, I wouldn't pick Baltimore against the field but I'm probably the most afraid of the Ravens of any team in the NFL right now. What do you think? Yeah, they're like Kansas City when Mahomes, everybody yeah. started looking at him going, holy, what do you do? How do you defend that? It's the Andy Reid offense, Mahomes' unique ability to, to, to have different arm slots and, and throw off balance, on balance, uh, no look, passes, all that. And the Ravens are kind of that team this year. Jackson defaults to his feet so quickly though that it makes me wonder if they run into a really good uh, run discipline a good gap sound run yeah. stopping team will you know will will the ravens uh lose a you know 17 to 16 type ball game in the playoffs i don't know it's a fair question the chargers beat the ravens last year in that playoff game kind of putting an ugly end to lamar jackson's what six or eight game run there as the Ravens second half of the season starter. Uh, good stuff as always, man. Thanks for the anecdotes, the wit and the wisdom. We appreciate your time. Happy holidays to you and yours here from the David Glenn show. Oh, you too, DG. Come see us. We'll do 1-800-849-2761. Roddy Jones of ESPN and the ACC network on all things college football in about 10 minutes. More of your best and worst of the weekend phone calls still to come too on the David Glenn show. Megan Rapino is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Not everybody wants to sort of uh, back up Colin Kaepernick. Why are things like that important to you? I think it's all of our responsibility to try to make our country and our society and ultimately the world um, a place that is equal for everyone. This is the David Glenn Show. Much of Hour 3 will allow for more of your best and worst of the weekend phone calls. Program the number in, 1-800-849-2761. Ronnie Jones will lead our number three. The former Georgia Tech star running back, now with ESPN and the ACC Network, is all over bowl season and the coaching carousel and, of course, the college football playoff. We were there as Clemson crushed UVA in Charlotte. More college football with Roddy next. Coach Lou Holtz is joining us. What can you tell us about those four seasons in Raleigh? Everybody from North Carolina calling us Moo U and Agriculture U. And I remember walking in the press conference saying, I want everybody in the state to understand agriculture is better than no culture. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show.